0: So let's get into an informative and empowering conversation. Hello, and welcome to the Motherhood Village podcast. I am on with a very special guest. I have Miss Allison Young, owner of the Learning Lab. She is a dedicated advocate for struggling learners, and she began as a teacher and uh, and a reading specialist for Broward County Public Schools and stayed there for 10 years. She witnessed the challenges faced by students with learning differences, such as ADHD, dyslexia, and how traditional approaches fell short. (laughs) Young decided to take action. Allie believes that education goes beyond academics. I believe that as well. It encompasses social and emotional growth, and her mission is to transform the lives of children with learning differences, ensuring that they not only excel in school, but also thrive in the real world. Allison, I am so excited to talk with you. I also know people call you Allie, so what would you prefer? Yeah, Allie,
1: please call me Allie. All right. Sure. All right, cool. <laughs> so welcome. How are you today? I'm great. I'm in my office right now. We're closed this week, so it's really nice to be able to like sit here and just get all the focused work done that that needs to happen for us to kick back up on Monday. Awesome.
0: Okay. So I usually post and I usually ask my guests, and it wasn't on our list when we discussed, but I always ask my guests to share a favorite book or like a resource or something that made an impact for you that you think my listeners will benefit from. And it could be a mom book, business book, like anything sure. that has made an impact for oh you.
1: Gosh. So my favorite book as a as an educator that I read again when I was about to become a mom is Whole Brain Child. Hands down, best book. I think I've read it twice, listened to it on audio, like yes. you can't hear it enough because you have to really see it from different perspectives and angles as an educator, as a mom. Another great book that I love for for what I am the one that kind of explains to parents that their child has dyslexia and and kind of informing them or educating them and really empowering them. On what dyslexia is and isn't, is Overcoming Dyslexia by Sally Shaywitz and the Dyslexia Empowerment Plan. So those are three really important books, I think, for the mommies that are just mommies or educators that are sure. in the classroom and everything in
0: between. So awesome, thank you. Okay, so you worked in Broward County Public Schools. I was very. It's it's funny how serendipity and things happen because we know each other we've run into each other you came to my summit and all the things and we talked about collaborating but my son just started kindergarten in August so look at the way things right so now I think this is a perfect time for us to speak because I am in it right I'm in it and we're just four months in and I Have my own <laughs> things about um, public school, and you know it's one of those things. And and I'll get to my question, but I think it's it's important to preface this so you also understand where I'm coming from in context. Although my son doesn't have the some of the learning differences that we're going to discuss, um, it has been a challenge because I think what we don't discuss is when we come from a preschool environment, especially nowadays. That I think preschools are so much more robust in the Montessori style, and then we stick them in this like traditional school system that it's like testing and this and all the things. So I'm like, holy heck, like I thought I needed support groups for like newborns. No, we need support groups for moms who are in the school system. So my question to you is, share maybe some specific challenges that you faced or that you observed during your time as a teacher and reading specialist, and how that really propelled you in starting the learning lab and why it was so important for you to do so.
1: Right. Well, the first and the first and most important thing is that early intervention and early identification is the best thing you can do for a child who learns differently, no matter what. So let's start there. So kindergarten, preschool and that kindergarten transition is the time to start, you know, getting your awareness up and understanding what you're looking for and what the key indicators are for Okay, this could be a concern. And and the reason that early identification is so important is because none of the confidence issues are going to be there if we address things early. The remediation and 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 intervention curriculum and all of the approaches are going to be more effective when they're younger. The brains more malleable, they haven't developed bad habits yet. So that is my number 1 wish and hope and desire for the school systems is early identification and just educating teachers on the early signs of of possible reading issues or ADHD, dyslexia, all these different things. So my number one thing that I would, you know, that I noticed and that I, in hindsight, wish I knew when I was in the trenches every day is that we can identify these things in kindergarten. And we should be identifying them in kindergarten. But the way that the, you know, of course, just like with anything, there's a system and there's a process and the teachers and the educators and specialists that work in the county aren't. They're just following the process, and they're following what is expected of them. And I've been to many amazing IEP meetings where there are people who do understand that, but they also understand that they have to follow this certain process. So the so in my opinion, I think there's just something wrong with that process, that it's a wait-to-fail approach. It's not proactive. It's like, oh, well, this kid's struggling, but they're not struggling badly enough to be a red flag. That's the mindset. So that is a big concern for me. That for me does not rub me the right way. I always think about let's be proactive before we notice there's an issue. Even if you just see a child that possibly is struggling, just try something different. Try a different approach. So I just wish that there was more early identification, And awareness, too. I think there needs to be more awareness with the classroom teachers before it even gets advanced levels to advanced levels of a true intervention needed. And also just appropriate instruction in in every single
0: classroom. I'm going to... before you finish that, because I have some follow-up statements and a question with it, then I want you to talk to me obviously about your mission. And I understand now why it was important for you to start learning lab, but as a parent now sitting in, I think, listen, I'm I'm sure we can talk here all day about like how teachers don't have the mental capacity. And I'm a mom of a first grader too. So, so, you know, yes, I'm there too, as a mom. Correct. And, you know, we can have a whole podcast forum on the school system and how teachers aren't paid enough and don't have the support and all the things, but we can't, right? We can't talk about that because we'd be here all day. And I really want to get to the point of what you do. However, I think it's important. And what I really want to convey in this, especially for my listeners, that I think this episode is going to help you with is how, to your point, how to advocate for your child, and how to notice those things. Because I just realized, even with me telling you, I'm like, oh, well, my son doesn't have any learning differences. And in my mind, I'm like, boy, no, he just started kindergarten. So truthfully, I don't know. Right. So in my mind, I'm like, I don't think so. Because in all intents and purposes, he's thriving. But to your point, like maybe there is more I need to look for. So I'm excited to dive in because, for, again, for my listeners, we can sit here and talk about what needs to be done. but having organizations like the Learning Lab available so that we can talk about it and know what to look for, I think is key. Because if that's one thing that, not one thing, but being a millennial mom and in this day and age that is helpful is that there is a lot of information. And when you get right and listen to the right person, it can propel you forward. So now let's, let's fast forward. Your mission, yep. and, and you can tell me your creation, yep. but your one of your mission is to rebuild the heart and mind of children, helping them feel confident and successful in both school and life. So talk to me about once you saw those challenges, and I completely agree. And again, I'm not an educator, I would imagine when you hit it from young, it helps them for maybe dropping out of school for feeling less than all the things that I can even just foresee what would happen to a child who if they're missed, and they're not kind of helped in the beginning, what can happen. So tell me when that process is when you got that, that kind of like, oh, that epiphany of like, I need to do this myself. Tell me how that happened. And was that really the inspiration to start Learning Lab?
1: So I had an incredible mentor who you know, Fran Rubio-Katz. She was Truly, I mean, my best friend, my sister, and my mentor all along the way as an educator. She was, when I first got out of college, she was my co-teacher at my first job at a small little private school. And all along the way, we stayed very close. So every time I was in a situation where I saw a child struggling, she was my go-to. What What's your opinion on this? What do you think about this? Because I I just valued her her opinion. And I knew that she would see it from a deeper perspective. Like behavior is communication. If you have a child that's hiding under the table during a spelling test, that's communicating something, right? They're fearful of failure or whatever it is. So more than like the, the traditional school system being like, Oh, well they need to get in their seat and they need to behave and they need to take the test. It's like, well, obviously. Right. But why is this child pushed so far into this like like animalistic part of their brain that they're fleeing the scene because of a spelling test. So that was really helpful all along the way and then when I as I started learning and reading and becoming you know I got my reading endorsement I started learning about Orton-Gillingham and I but nowhere along the way was dyslexia really ever mentioned. And even to this point into this day in the public school system, they call it a specific learning disability, and they're not really educated on what that means. They're not educating parents on what that means. They're not educating the teachers on what that means. So, so when I so when I left the school system, I know I'm kind of like flashing forward a little bit, but I just I just was so disillusioned by the whole process. I felt that it was sort of broken. It was like we're not going to help the kids unless they're failing badly enough and this one is not failing badly enough this is more of a behavior issue and there wasn't really like a deeper understanding of all of all of the why and how to help them and and how to be proactive so franny really helped me learn a lot more about that and when we when i left the school system it was really about her kind of encouraging me to be brave and take a bold leap and 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 become this like We called a teacherpreneur at the time, you know, and I, and I was so terrified. I was like, Oh, I don't, I don't know how to like run a business. I don't understand any of this stuff. Like, what am I going to do? And really together we, we became business. We were business partners from in the beginning. And again, mentoring me the whole way on all of it. I started learning about why Orton-Gillingham is appropriate instruction for kids with dyslexia, and really understanding how it's actually just the best practice and gold standard of reading instruction for everybody, for all young learners to start to learn these appropriate explicit strategies for decoding. So I just, it was just a big growth, huge time for me to really sort of Put all the pieces together of what I had seen and what I noticed was missing and, and, and how I noticed that this the process was just kind of broken, and how the timing and everything just fell into place for me to really help to understand, wow, I this is a special little niche that I have here. And this opportunity to really, really make a difference and help kids because kids with dyslexia and and oftentimes kids with ADHD, they're so bright that they're not always going to fail badly enough to qualify or be eligible for the free support at school. So then they fall in between the cracks. So they just fall between the cracks. They're in this limbo where the boys may have some sort of like outward behaviors, hiding under the table, running out of the room, and they get identified possibly, but the girls just implode and they just hide. Yeah. And then eventually it's like, okay, third grade hits. And now it's like, oh my gosh, now this sweet little girl who was able to hide between everybody else and and kind of use her personality to get by. Now she's realizing, oh my gosh, I can't read. I was tricking everybody this whole time. I can't really read. The confidence starts to get impacted. And of course, I mean, we can go into way deeper. And I mean, there's literally like what's called the
0: reading to prison pipeline. Yeah. So it goes very deep. Well, yeah, because- I mean, reading is the fundamental of everything, which is why it saddens me that the way the state of the school system is going, and my son's in a charter school, we thought putting him in a charter school would kind of help because it's not the traditional public school. But I mean, they're on the iPad so much. Everything is testing. Break is over on Monday. And I think he has a fast test on Tuesday. And I was like, huh? He's six, Allie. Yeah, he's no. Six. He's I know. So I was getting and, I, you know, his teacher's a sweetheart, but she was texting me and I'm like, yeah, we're not studying this over winter break. And she's like, but it's okay. Well, he's either gonna like, uh, no, I'm like, I'm not doing this to this kid. Like, he's gonna be burnt in my mind. And I think from talking to so many experts, like, I already kind of foresee of like, he's gonna get burnt out of school, like, so much pressure and all the things. Like, shouldn't they just be focused on like reading and reading like books of like, because it is the fundamental of everything. I asked my mom, I was like, Ma, what did we have back in the day? Like 40, you know, 30 something years ago. And she was like, I just remember you doing a lot of book reports and just book reports and little projects. And I'm like, what happened there? Again, whole nother thing. But to your point, I think, yeah, reading is the the fundamental of everything. So if there's a child struggling and it's not corrected, Of course, it's going to lead to behavior and more things because they kind of fall through the cracks. I think specifically to your point, I think yeah, the girls probably more internal, so maybe they have more like depression. Yeah, exactly. And the boys like, unfortunately, criminal like criminal active just because it just they go down. They don't know how to they don't they don't have skill sets to be in like society. Fine. What does the learning lab do to specifically help? Are you the school? Are you a school? So if I'm a mom and then we're gonna get into you telling my listeners like some characteristics because I really want to get into that meat and potatoes. But if someone wanted to to work with you and even someone myself, like, hey Ali, maybe just you know, how how do I come to you? And what do I do? Is your brick and mortar? Do you have a school? Do you tutor? Like tell me all of the services and the way the learning lab does it differently.
1: Sure. So the Learning Lab is a specialized tutoring and learning center that specializes in academic remediation for kids with dyslexia, ADHD, and any child that benefits from a different approach. So that's first and foremost. We have two brick and mortar locations. We do one, is, one is in Southeast Fort Lauderdale. That's where I am right now. And the other one is in Davie, sort of like East Davie. And everything we do is in person. I am staunch on being in person. And the reason I think it's so important is going to go into also the approach that we use. But I also think learning is an emotional process. And especially for a child that's struggling, they have to love the teacher they're working with. There has to be high fives and hugs and and games and encouragement and connection and a relationship. Because if a child does not have a relationship and a connection with their teacher, they're not going to learn from them. That's, that's number one. So that is why, you know, over during COVID for a couple months, did we do stuff virtually? Yes. But people reach out to me all the time from other places. Oh, do you do anything virtually? I'm like, no, we don't because kids don't learn that way or our kids don't learn that way. And I just can't, and, and, you know, good conscience do that. I just don't believe in it. So that might be my own little, little thing, but I truly feel passionately about being in person touching, feeling, the manipulatives, the tiles that they're working with, like all the different activities being hands-on in person. And so the progr- the curriculums that we use are really what is also part of the magic. So we follow, the curriculums that we use are following the science of reading. And the science of reading is teaching phonics and phonemic awareness using explicit, systematic, sequential, and multi-sensory instruction. So when we grew up, And we were in this, and I went to public school my whole life. It was about, oh, let's build a love of literacy, give them books and expose them to literature, expose them to reading, expose them to different types of books, and they'll love reading and they'll learn how to read. That is not the case. Science has totally disproven that. And even one of the most well known founders of what was called that whole language approach that we were instructed on as kids has denounced her own curriculum. Her name is Lucy Calkins and said, nope, you know what, guys, I was wrong. This is right. Science of reading, Orton-Gillingham, this is it, structured literacy. So we use a program called the Barton Reading and Spelling System, which follows the Orton-Gillingham approach, which follows the science of reading. There's other curriculums out there. There's UFLY, which is the UF Literacy Institute Institute, that's doing wonderful things following the science of reading. WILSON is another popular program that schools used to use, and they went away from it, and now some of them still use it. When I go into an IEP meeting now, I don't know what I'm walking into. I'm like, Broward County is supposed to be like just streamlined. And I'm just like, oh, you guys are using that? Oh, my gosh, great. Oh, you're using that? Oh, you know. So you just never know, unfortunately. But that is the gold standard and the best practice for reading instruction. It's the only way for a child with a learning difference like dyslexia to learn how to read and spell. But like I said before, it's the best practice and the gold standard for every child to learn how to read this way, building the appropriate strong foundational reading skills from the beginning. So my own daughter, like I said, and we talked a little bit about the preschool world. My daughter went to a Reggio Emilia preschool, loved it. They did conscious discipline. It was the best place for her. I mean, as far as emotional intelligence, she, she could save the world, but there wasn't really that explicit phonics instruction and no i valued the eq over over the other pieces and i knew what i you know cognitively my husband and i made that decision um but the point is is that i also know she's going to the learning lab twice a week you know like not and i don't i didn't didn't suspect dyslexia i didn't suspect adhd i just know that as a five six seven year old learning how to read this is what every child is entitled to, to build strong, true foundational reading skills. So,
0: yeah. Awesome. And oh goodness, so much to unpack there. I know, (laughs) but I, yeah, let's get, let's get to the meat and potatoes of, okay, a mom's listening to this. And I know if I was a new mom, I'd be freaking out like, oh my God, how do I tell? So a couple of things, actually the first, first, and I I don't want to miss that question. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask it because it came. I I have the other ones here. here, Okay. no, No, yeah. I want, to ask basically that I want you to answer is if I'm if I'm preparing my child to go to school, what are maybe some questions I should ask? Like, what is a reading method? Like these are in hindsight. Like I wish, but we had, now we have the conversation, right? So now I can lead right. mamas back to this conversation. But it's important, like you know, you hear these things of like, oh, when you're touring schools, everyone you hear on these mom groups, what's the best school? What's the best school? And I kind of cringe now that I'm in it, because I'm like, oh, honey, like, what does that mean? Like, to your point, you made such a beautiful point, because we had the same thing with my son's preschool, like, highly, like, emotional, I, you know, the intelligence, and because I know better, I knew that for that first foundation, like, that was kind of be more important. Yes, they Right, and they did other things and I don't know the method they use, but it was very Montessori based. And, you know, every week they were learning about different artists and musicians. So I was like, you know what, let's, let's roll with that. Yep. But then going into kindergarten and and all everything else, I was lost. So my question with that is basically like what parents really should be asking when they're now in this new territory of really making sure that the education approach is there. So that's going to be that question. But my question to you now is, what are some characteristics that parents should look for that, you know, that, you know, are the ADHD, is it, you know, some of these learning differences um, to spot from early on? to maybe have that early intervention? What are some things that parents can look for?
1: So t- two questions. I feel like there's two questions. What do you want to ask the school when you're going on a tour and determining yes. if it's the best school, right? Yeah. My number one question would be, what is your explicit phonics instruction curriculum? Hands down. That is what I want to know. I went into my daughter's teach parent-teacher conference the other day, and of course, they know what I do. So I didn't want to like intimidate anybody, but I I I asked that question. I said, so what what phonics what she's in first grade? What explicit phonics instruction are you providing? What curriculum do you use? So I don't know, I'm not even going to go into what the answer was, but I was disappointed <laughs> with it. So I'm taking matters into my own hands and whatever, but that's the most important question. Sure. Obviously, I have, you know, ideas on the behavior implementation and mindful discipline. I think that's really important too, but that's not what we're talking about today. But I think academically you want to know what is the explicit phonics instruction in the classroom. For Love sure. It. Okay, through second, that is number one. And if they don't know what you're talking about, run. <laughs> and then the other things are like, okay, what are the signs of like possible, you know, I want to get my child extra yes. support. So in kindergarten, you know, even in preschool, we want to look for things like struggles with rhyming, struggles, re- struggles recognizing and and naming the letters or matching the sounds with the letters. So th- I can give you some examples, but like we want to make sure that a child knows from a from a young young age that that this letter M says mmm. That is so important, right? We want them to like understand that. And then eventually we want them to know that if I say the word mop and I change the to a, what word do I have now? I have hop. And even if you're just doing it auditorily like that, that's phonemic awareness. And that's the number one, most important foundational reading skill. Then we go into phonics where we can actually show them M-O-P and delete the m and add the h and say okay now what word do i have so things like that if those things aren't coming together by end of kindergarten first grade that's a big red flag but even younger even in preschool things like rhyming issues with you know pronunciations early speech issues are also can be an early sign of dyslexia. So things like that I mean also things like sequencing. So people always think dyslexia means people see letters backwards, but it has nothing to do with visually seeing things backwards. It's about sequencing and directionality and how the brain is processing those letters and and visually not what their eyes are doing, but what their brain is doing with what their eyes are seeing. So that can come come across in not being able to remember the days of the week in order or not being able to remember months of the year in order. Sequencing, multi-step directions, things like that can be issues with working memory, which is also a concern for kids with dyslexia. So, and I also just think, you know, listen to your mommy gut, listen to that intuition. And if you just, I mean, Not going overboard, but if you if your gut is telling you that something's not right and something's not coming together for your child, just get them evaluated, get more information. You know, I always people are always often afraid to label their child, but the truth is we name it, we tame it. You get the information, you address the information, you address the issues, and you get help. You get the support. And the earlier you do that, the better, the longer you wait, the harder it becomes. So that's my number one thing is just listen to your gut. No Google, some of the early signs. We have a lot of great blogs on our website that address like the preschool, early signs, early, early elementary and on and on. So yeah,
0: just know the signs. I think, I think you kind of hit it. And actually my, my next question, and this leads into that is like, how can parents advocate? But I think you kind of touched upon it of saying, like, if you feel it, like, do something about it. But I guess my question to my, my then follow up is, yes, how can they advocate, but advocate. But to your point, like you were saying with your daughter, you're like, okay, I talked with the teacher, I didn't like this, but now I kind of know ways. If this is a single mom listening or someone like they kind of have no choice, this is a school the kid has to go to. What are ways that parents can do other than and also bringing them to learning lab, but at home, right, that they can really intentionally and things that they can do at home to kind of Yeah, to advocate and have that early intervention again at home. I mean, we hear like just read to your kid and to your point, yes, like we think we're going to read to them and that just helps. And what I've seen in my son is like his vocabulary and certain things, but that doesn't necessarily mean like he's going to read or pick up on reading, right? But to your point, we've kind of been told like, yeah, just read and read and it'll fall into play. Yeah, and we do. But to your point, exactly. But there's so many other things that come from that. So yeah, what are some things that parents can do at home? If they and, and to advocate them in the school to say, okay, well I want this or that. Is it the IEP? Like all of those things. Yeah. Talk briefly about that.
1: So at home, the most important the most important things you can do at home is make it fun. So when the, when they're little like that playing with letters like get letters get blocks get tiles and play around with like i gave that example of the mop changing it to hop changing it to top now now it's now we're going to change the middle sound to so now it's tap simple stuff like that like just playing around with manipulating sounds So in teacher lingo, we call it phoneme manipulation, phoneme blending, phoneme segmentation. But that's really all it is. It's just like giving them a a consonant, vowel, consonant word and changing the sounds around. And can they manipulate them and blend them? That's and just and you can make it fun. You can make it a game, make up pretend words, make up nonsense words, things like that. And I think also like when you're out and about showing them that reading is everywhere. Like we're reading a menu, we're reading a sign We're, you know, it's all the time. And I mean, bringing those things out with you when you go places and playing those games in the car. So using all that time to practice sounds, I'm thinking of a letter and it makes this sound. Sure. Like, what letter do you think that is? Just, you know, constantly just exposing them to that, I think is really important. Um, Practicing sight words can be really helpful. Like, I walk around with a little baggie when my daughter and I go, like, waiting in the car for dance or go to a restaurant. Like, we just practice sight words. We make it fun. So there's lots of ways to, to like, kind of bring it into the everyday conversation. But phonemic awareness and phonics are just the, I can't say enough how important that is. And then also with school, if you notice something is going on, and and your gut is telling you something, and maybe you have an older child that things came easier to, and now your second one is struggling. There's usually you know all these different signs. Just say something to them. Put it in writing, and say I want my child to be evaluated because really, in a public school, they're entitled to do that. Most kids, hopefully, again, it depends. Like you know, there's a lot of red tape and things, but in a best case scenario. They might be able to get that evaluation done for free. If the school gives you a hard time or they tell you, oh, we're going to wait for first grade or, oh, we're going to wait for more data, all these types of things, if you have the resources to do it privately and and, you you really feel important that this is a big thing for you and your family and you're feeling these intuitions about it, do it if you can. But if the school is giving you a super hard time and your child is really struggling you might want to take somebody with you to that meeting. You might want to take somebody with you like myself. I, For all Learning Lab families, I will attend every IEP meeting with them in person, in the office, on their behalf, because it is very intimidating to walk into a, a meeting where you're sitting around a table with eight to 12 people sitting on a laptop talking to you about your child, you know, and, and I you can't. Because you're like lost, like, well, what does this and mean? And using all these acronyms, like they're speaking another language. So bring yeah. somebody with you. Bring anybody. I mean, you can hire an advocate. You yeah. can have somebody from the learning lab. But I recommend you're allowed and entitled to bring anybody to those meetings that you want. Don't I, you? Don't go alone. Bring somebody who speaks the language and and can be a liaison for you.
0: I love that. Beyond the academic su- success, you emphasize also the social and emotional growth in education. How does the Learning Lab contribute to that? Because you can tell that you're so passionate about the reading aspect and helping these, you know, especially these children that have some of the learning differences, or to your point, just like having this as the foundation. Uh, but how does the Learning Lab continue to kind of have that holistic development of children with learning distance, uh, learning differences on the social and emotional aspect of it? And why is it so crucial? Because I'm sure to your point, there's so many misconceptions about a a child who has ADHD. And like you said, they're usually very intelligent. So like what, how does a learning lab add the emotional and social component to offset the reading and educational component?
1: So my gosh, so many different ways, but I'll start with empowering them. So Again, a lot of times I'll have parents that are afraid to label their child, should we tell them, you know, what do do we tell them? How do we explain this to them? And I always tell the parents, well, first of all, empower and educate yourself on what this is. And then 100%, you have to talk to your child about this because I've never seen one kid that was told they were dyslexic that was upset about it. They're always relieved. They're always like, oh that's what's going on i'm not dumb i'm not stupid there's nothing wrong with me i learn differently my brain works differently i take in information differently and there's so many more gifts associated with ADHD and dyslexia. I mean, it's a superpower. Unfortunately, they have to be taught how to how to be how to read and spell in a certain way. But other than that, it really is a gift and a superpower in so many ways. So if you can hone in on that and focus on that and empower the child on all the things they're good at and give them opportunities to be good at those things, then they're going to feel successful and they're going to own it and understand okay, so this is just, I learn differently. I'm going to learn ways to empower myself and 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 advocate for myself. And that's really the best case scenario.
0: And wouldn't also be, and I've heard this on, again, talking to another guest about she's based in New York, strength-based learning <laughs> as opposed to, because for so long, and oh, goodness, you're talking to me about all these things that I'm thinking about my son's school. And I'm like, the biggest thing is like the iPad, they're, they're learning on the iPad now and it just... I have so many things about it, because I just know better, especially at six years old, the dopamine that they're getting on that iPad. And I like the more I talk with experts like yourself, I'm like, I just I we have to do something, but that's neither here nor there. But one of the other things I noticed about the classroom that the educator I had talked to had said, like, like if they're showing like remember how we had like back in the day you'd be like oh here's the red group and they're like the good readers or the whatever Uh it was so in my son's class like you can see the kids who like are only on maybe like level 20 and the ones aren't 60 and i'm like -hmm. Gosh, and maybe in my mind, I'm like, maybe they don't see it now. I'm like, but every kid knows, like the ones that are at the bottom, like they're not ahead. Call it whatever
1: you want to call it, the panthers and the dolphins, whatever. But
0: it's still differentiated. So, talk to me about does that kind of help offset that strength space to really like that's not really, or is it? Is it still effective to have those things? I feel like it's so antiquated. Well, here's the thing: teachers
1: in the classroom have to they're there. And and again, I go back to when I was a first grade teacher, right? So we have a 90 minute reading block. You have 60 minutes of whole group. And then you have the other 30 minutes of, or I think it's like, you know, 20, 20, whatever it is of like breaking up the small groups. So you can truly meet the kids where they're at on their level. So you, of course, you have the small, the lower group, unfortunately hopefully they're going to be doing intervention like an orton gillingham intervention and then you have the middle the middle level and the higher level and yeah. unfortunately there is i can't i can't think of a good way to break them up in those groups without without doing it that way because you're really that's how you're going to meet their needs on their levels did you want I to guess- The the kids. You want to offer enrichment to the kids that are reading above grade level. And then you have all the centers going on and things like that. But that, and that's the piece that's so hurtful, of course, and that you want to talk about. Don't, hide it. You have to talk
0: about it. Well, um, I, I was going to say, yeah. and then maybe there's a way going back to your point of empowering them. So even yeah. if on that, they're on that lower level, it's not making them feel shameful in it, but saying, right. okay, you might need a little more extra support here, right? you, but there's this, not a shameful component. I guess helpful. maybe that's the difference.
1: Right. I think maybe just how you frame it and how you yes. present it is everything with, with a kid, with everything, with anything. Absolutely. So I don't, I, you know, I think ignoring it and just not talking about it is probably the Absolutely. worst thing you could do, but, but yeah. And, and of course, because oftentimes, you know, sometimes you're going to have a kid that has no idea like that. They're, they really just don't know. Maybe there's a cognitive disability or they're just, they're not even aware, but particularly the kids with dyslexia, they're so, they're so keenly aware and they're smart enough to know what they don't know. So it's so important to have open dialogue about all these things with them to help them understand you're not in the lower reading group or the higher reading group. You're in the reading group that learns like this. love that. And they're in the reading group that learns like that, you know? And I just think, you know, really valuing that communication.
0: I have a couple more questions before we part. And then my, my next question is, how do you feel about reward systems in that? Do you do that at Learning Lab? Like, because you hear, like, on social media, this is where things can get convoluted. It's like rewards-based systems. Some say maybe they don't work. Some say they do. What is your approach to that, especially in reading? You know, like they're trying he has to do some lessons and something with reading. And I think they get like a popsicle party or something. And in my mind, I'm like, well, I, I think sometimes you have the rewards because to me, me I'm like that is also a part of life like if you do something and achieve something you get it but then sometimes in life you don't always get a, a reward right so mm-hmm. yeah talk to me about wow
1: that, that is a loaded question yeah. for me so <laughs> I think there's a difference between a reward and a celebration mm-hmm. I think you know it's totally fine to celebrate hard work and to celebrate collaborative efforts like you know, an example for me in my classroom when I was a teacher was we did not have a treasure box. I was probably the only first grade teacher that didn't have a treasure box. And I was I was totally fine with that. And I'll explain why. And that goes back to my um, conscious discipline and relationship with Franny. Um, But I I just think, you know collectively what we would do. So at the end of the day, we would do seeds of kindness and I would, we would sit down on the floor and I'd say, okay, everybody take, we're going to take turns, raise your hand of something you noticed that was super kind that somebody else did. So you're not allowed to say anything that you did. You have to tell me something kind and helpful that somebody else did. And every time they would notice something, we'd put a seed in our jar. And when we got to a certain place, we got to have a celebration. We voted on what that celebration would be, more time on the playground or a party or whatever. So I think collaborative efforts and to, and celebrating effort is really, really important. I think you know those tangible, if you do this, you get this, can be dangerous because it's that, like you said, the dopamine, it's that like instant gratification. We don't want kids to to think, okay, if I do this, I'm gonna get this. And then it's like, well, but what if I can't, right? Like, I want you to sound out this word and you'll get this, but what if they can't? That feels pretty bad when they really want that thing and they're trying their best to read the word or whatever it is, but they just truly don't have the skills for it. You know, so I think that goes back to behavior. Some behaviors are not not controllable for everybody. Academic skills may not be in everybody's control. So it just, for me, I find it to be sort of counterintuitive and sometimes even hurtful to praise the 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 skill or not praise reward the skill and not reward the effort i think it's really important to reward the effort and celebrate the effort you know and and whatever those expectations they may be different for everybody i think everybody's level of expectation should be based on their skill set what they can truly do so it should be individualized
0: I love that. And I think for any listener listening to this, it doesn't it, it goes beyond the classroom because I can see maybe someone be like, oh, well, I don't know if my teacher does that. But I think where you're touching upon is also parents doing that within their own right. home and understanding like a lot of times um, and like I said these are these are loaded questions because I think yeah, and, so, a load uh, <laughs> and loaded topics like the, I think the whole conversation is because like I said now that I'm in it like I know and I'm like oh wow these are like really foundational like yeah the preschool was great and that does help and build something but this is a whole slew of like well what if this and like I said the iPad there's so many things that parents and teachers have to navigate now that we didn't have to navigate maybe 10-15 years ago mm-hmm. even just a few years ago after you know before covid so we're navigating these uncharted territories so it's great to have these conversations yeah. and to hear different perspectives so, like, so this is
1: an example of something I can think of of like a student that I've encountered here for example right like a lot of times I I can't even believe that I mean I'm saying this but some teachers still do use like a color chart for behavior in the classroom okay some do and so let's say, so let's say a kid, like, let's use my student, for example, who was hiding under the table. Am I going to punish him and put him on a certain color because he's not in his seat? Or am I going to crawl down there on the floor and hug him? Right? Like, what's going to really, he doesn't have the skill set to do anything differently in that moment. And putting and, you know, kind of manipulate, trying to manipulate the behavior or, coerce him or embarrass him is still not going to give him that skill set. So the, the idea I feel for teachers and parents is let's empathize with the child and understand where they're at, whether it's emotionally, behaviorally, academically, and make the goal to teach the missing skill overall. So I, you know, and that can, that's just like me summing that up very quickly because I just, I just, that I feel so passionately about, about that, like focus on, teaching the missing skill, whether it's emotionally, behaviorally, or academically.
0: And I know it comes from coach Frenny, cause I had the absolute pleasure of talking to her, on my podcast and a lot of what even has helped me in this and maybe to the detriment of, you know, me figuring out another school for my kid and maybe not detriment, but it's like, cause we put them in and now hindsight, I'm like, Oh, I wish I would have asked more questions, but like he, they do use a color chart. So you yeah. telling me that I'm like, Oh, cringe. Right. And I have been a room mom. So I've, actively seen it and I hear coach Franny like in the back of my head and I'm like oh no I'm like he just needs a hug and she and but again I'm watching her and I know she has 20 something kids again right so it's like and I'm cutting things and I'm like looking and I'm like I want to just like give him a hug that little kid you know and I'm seeing all of this so yeah. And I know again we can, we to can navigate. It's, it's whole, not
1: perfect. It's not perfect, no, right? It not. is.
0: And I'm sure some teacher
1: out there is going to hear this and say, "Oh yeah, right, like I can stop in the middle of my spelling test and give a hug." And I get it because
0: I've been there. I've had 36 first graders sure. by myself, but you know. To and- your point, but to your point, I think that there's nothing wrong though of once you see that and maybe at the moment you're like, "Listen, I need you in your chair," but maybe by the end of the day, pull him to the side, right? and yep. say hey we saw something going on are you okay like i don't know I, I i i don't know i feel whatever again we can we can probably go off tangent with that but my last two questions for yes. you one how can people connect with you of course i'll put in the show notes but how can people connect with you instagram how do they work with you how do they sign up like all the things
1: yes so the best way to learn about the learning lab and what we do and and, and to empower and educate parents is our instagram learning lab it's at learning lab fl and that is our number one way to learn about what we do to contact me ali at learning lab fl.com that's my email address and i'm like obsessively going to get back to you quickly, probably quicker than I, than I should.
0: (laughs) Love that. And then my final question, I always ask my guests, are there any other final thoughts that you'd like to share? If you think from all the things that we talked about of something that you're like, listen, if you had to take away something from listening to this, what you really want to impart my listeners to take Mm -hmm. from this episode. And I know we talked about a lot and we probably could have kept talking, but like really what you want them to impart with.
1: Yeah. I would say as a mom of a first grader now, and also as an ed- as a lifelong educator and doing what I do, listen to your gut. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to, to use your community and talk to people like yes. dyslexia and ADHD are more common than you think. So I just think a lot of, there's a lot of stigmas and a lot of misunderstandings about all of that, that can be very fearful. So just Listen to your intuition, ask for help, talk to the teachers. If you feel like something's wrong, request evaluations, get in there. And don't be afraid to be the squeaky wheel. Don't be afraid to use your resources and ask for help because the early
0: intervention is the most effective intervention. I love that. Actually, great to part with that. Ali. Mm-hmm. it's been an absolute pleasure. I am so happy that we got to do this and you Candace know. connected us, especially during this time, because like I said, I, I understand it more now, right? Like I get it. Thank yeah. you for sharing your insights. And I'm sure we will connect and collaborate in the future again, and continued blessings to you for love and light. Yes, you too. Thank you for listening to this impactful episode of the Motherhood Village podcast.